Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It is a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger, and we are talking about a very exciting game today. Yes. Uh, Untitled Goose Game for the Switch <laughs> and for PC and Mac. Right? Wow, we're right in it. Yeah, that is correct. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to waste my time with this one because, like, nothing is better than the Untitled Goose Game. You yeah, know? that's true. That's true. Um, it came out while I was in Scotland, uh, so I did not get to download it and play it until I got back and had some time like after catching up with everything. Um, but it was like almost the first thing I did as soon as I got back home was downloaded that game and then played it like on my train rides to and from work. And uh, whew, it lives up to the hype. It really does. Yeah. So this is a game that I think kind of like... Uh... There are some games that we cite that have promotional material where no one truly knows what the game is, but it's just so immediately interesting or absurd enough to gain attention. Yeah. Like we talked about how Cuphead was shown and that like, here are a bunch of indie games coming out for Xbox. And everyone was like, what the heck is this? What is that thing you showed for 15 yeah. seconds? I need more of that. Yeah. yeah That's honestly yeah. how I felt about Sayonara Wild Hearts the first time I saw it in the Nintendo Direct. Right. Um, and then it came out and also lived up to the hype. So. Um, an Untitled Goose game is kind of in that field. When when This has been in development for a while. Because I remember hearing about it like a year ago. We 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 talked about it in passing a year ago, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I believe so too. Yeah, it's by a developer called House House. It's amazing. They have since released uh, their like screenshots of their Slack dialogue when they first decided that they were going to make this game. Yeah. And it is literally just they like went to Google Images, typed in goose, like took the first result, pasted it into Slack and said, let's make a game about this. And then it's a whole bunch of them in Slack just saying like, I like their feet. I like that they have a big orange beak. I like that they waddle. I like that they honk. It's like, okay, cool. <laughs> We're making this game. Like that was yeah. all they needed. That was that was the whole source of inspiration was geese are funny. Let's make a game about them. For those not familiar, it's it's basically as the title suggests, you play as a goose. But the thing is, it's not like Goat Simulator or any of those types of games where it's just like so yes. irreverent and loose that there isn't a game. I was going to bring up Goat like, Simulator, which feels like the Borderlands version of this game in, in tone. <laughs> the Mountain Dew version of this game is yeah. like craft beer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I bring that up as like sort of a like english village like porter if you will uh <laughs> but basically this game th my elevator pitch for this game before we go into specific details is like the most peaceful g-rated version of gta vice city like it is like you made the most purified wholesome version of a sandbox where you're just there to cause chaos yeah but like in the guise of like a silent movie comedy about a goose right yeah i think i think so, a, another apt comparison is like the most recent hitman games yeah uh, there's a lot of stealth comparisons yeah but i think that there's there's something to be said about like Going to a friend's house in 2003, whatever age you were, in my case, 13, and uh -huh. someone's like, oh, I got I got GTA, dude. And they show you, like, you can steal a car and drive around and do all this awful stuff. And yeah, it's they like, have a Whoa. printout of, of the game facts codes that you need to type in to, like, get a rocket launcher in a helicopter. And it's like, it's so, it's so baffling that, like, you could do that in a game where it's like, it, all rules are there to be broken. You can yeah. mess with the laws of society. There's something equally riveting about Untitled Goose Game, where you just like take someone's glasses off and go into the lake, drop them in the lake, and then honk at that person. Yeah, <laughs> it's like somehow even more cruel than like running over a bunch of people in GTA. Yeah, uh, you feel the the results of your actions much more intimately. Yeah. So wait, uh, I don't even think we like mentioned what this game is outside of comparisons, but it's I think it's worth like just on an overarching level. This is a game where you play as a goose. You have like three buttons you can press. So you move the goose around. You have a button where you just honk at people. You have another button that lowers your neck. So you're kind of like crouching. Um, you have another button that lets you flap your wings kind of like an aggressive like, hey, what's up? I'm here kind of manner as, as geese are wont to do. Uh, and you have another button that lets you pick things up with your beak. Um, yeah. And those are the only things that you can do. But they are all used 
like to perfection. They are all used in every permutation of those possible, with the exception of the flapping of wings, which doesn't really happen a whole lot. It is more just for fun. It's for fun. And it's also like there are so many stories that can kind of naturally develop mm-hmm. over this, because basically the game is that you are given objectives. So it starts off you're in like a pond near a garden where a groundskeeper is attending like to this garden. Yeah. And you're given objectives like enter the garden, make the groundskeeper wet, have mm-hmm. a picnic. And it's basically like there's a picnic blanket nearby and you have to drag certain items to that blanket. Yeah. And there are so many great moments. Like I, that poor groundskeeper goes through so much in that short time you have together. Yeah. Like you, I have to, uh, the moment where the game really like came together for me was like one of the objectives was to make him hammer his own thumb. Mm-hmm. So once you've done enough objectives, he tries to hammer a no geese allowed sign basically yeah and if you honk at the right time he hammers his own hand and falls down yeah which Uh, then opens up a gate that lets you go into the next area of the game (laughs) which is great but it's like that was a great goal because it seemed specific at first i'm like how am i going to do that and then as soon as it started happening i was like oh okay cool i know exactly how to do this suddenly Mm -hmm. Yeah. If they if they catch you doing anything, it basically like they'll take whatever you took and put it back in place. So like there is a very large stealth component here. Um, in the gardens, you can kind of duck your head so you're like not visible. Yeah. I I love like, honking. Yeah. yeah. I love honking while doing that and mm-hmm. like honking and flapping your wings is basically just there to like add character to this like silent movie you're secretly directing. Right. Um, <laughs> And even just walking around, like you kind of had this like pompous strut to you that like showcases like the attitude of the goose, you know. Right. Like, because strange. not only is it funny to watch a goose walk ever, but like when you exaggerate that that motion just a little bit more, as they do in this game, the animation is always hilarious. It is yeah. always funny. It's just to move in this game, not even to mention honk at people. So the groundskeeper is the first area. Like That was a lot of fun. Uh, and then it opens up to the next area where there are a couple more people and your objectives are all over the place. You have to make a boy hide in the phone booth when you like scare him by honking. Mm-hmm. You have to make him get different glasses. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which you, like, you can untie his shoelaces. Yeah. And it's just really fun. Like, even if you aren't following the objectives entirely, like, there's so much fun stuff to do. Like, to cause mild, to cause chaos, but like, kind of benign chaos in this village is like oddly, like, just so zen. It's like a very cathartic game to play. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a, like, a peaceful existence in this village. It's weird that this game is just like, it, like, it exists to make you kind of live out your dream of being a complete asshole with like no ramifications. <laughs> because like you're right. a goose so like it doesn't really matter you know like of course a goose is gonna kind of be an asshole um i guess is is the conceit of this game but because it's not a gta because you're not like shooting a rocket launcher at at the fucking police tank like the army tank that shows up when you hit five stars you know like you don't really feel that that like maybe like pang of guilt that comes with doing yeah. the same thing in other games like this and unlike hitman you don't feel like any life or death kind of kind of like anxiety at any point it is all always just like if something goes wrong in your plan like there is tension don't get me wrong there is tension in trying to do some of this stuff in trying to like steal the keys from the gate from the gardens keeper or or whatever but if you mess something up like you just kind of reset and you're just still a goose and you still have the same like three buttons that you can press that are all dumb uh and it's always fun for that reason and those failed attempts kind of add to the tension of the scene they add to the whatever the story is playing out in those moments as as people get progressively more frustrated by your right presence yeah but i think it's worth pointing out that like because there is tension because there are goals and because there are ways to fail at those goals it has it has more immersion and more of a game feeling than like goat simulator or something that's like so just silly that like there's you play it for 20 minutes or 20 seconds you're like okay i get it like i'm I'm over this worth mentioning like Goat Simulator has since then like somehow become like this bigger, more grandiose thing. They made an MMO RPG at one point, like <laughs> based around Goat Simulator. Like they they have kind of expanded that uh, as far as it could possibly go. But sorry, you were saying about I was saying like Goat Simulator is is a funny idea and it's a funny game, but like it's sort of there to just kind of it's more of a conceptual joke than a joke that's well executed. Mm-hmm. Whereas Goose Game like is an actual game. Like it's not just you're not just buying a joke. Like you will enjoy playing it, and there are yeah. like things 
things to learn and stakes to work around. Like it's a game. The closest uh, comparison I would make to it right now is like it just in terms of like the current popular zeitgeist is what the golf like it is. It is almost like what the golf in that it is taking like a goof and then exploring it so thoroughly that it ends up being a complete experience. Yeah, I, I would say that's that's pretty apt. I think I think uh, Until Goose Game, what the golf and like Katamari are all kind of in the same. <laughs> yeah. Oddly relaxing, chaotic realm right uh, but yeah i think it's it's great i'm in the second area i will say my only complaint with it is that some of the goals are very difficult to figure out how to do like yeah. i honestly think some of them are like i'm never gonna know this unless i look it up mm. like I, i'm at a goal now in the second area where it's like have someone buy their items back and i'm like i just don't know how to do that oh like, it's so good it's a really good one i'm sure it'll be a funny one once i see it in place but like even in the first one, like, I had to look up how to get the groundskeeper to wear a different hat. Like mm-hmm. there are some things that are just like, like there are some great ones where it's like at first it feels like, how do I do this? And then you figure it out in the moment, like with yeah. the hammering, uh, the groundskeeper hammering his own thumb. But then some just feel like, okay, I really want to move on to the next area. Like, how do I do this? Mm-hmm. There's just one or two that are in that camp, at least for me. Maybe maybe I'm alone on that, but I just feel like there could be a better way of like making those a little bit more intuitive. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get what you're th- saying. That there are actually so I have finished the game at this point. Oh wow, okay. It's not it's not long. It's not a long game. It takes maybe like two hours to like beat the like total thing. Um uh-huh. maybe a little bit longer depending on how long it takes. But there there were points where I did look up the solutions to some things just because I wanted to see the end really bad. Because yeah. people in our Discord, uh which you know you can find in the show notes uh the link to join the Discord. But uh people in our Discord were talking about how great the ending was. So I was like, I really need to see this before we talk about it. Yeah. And uh I'm I'm glad that I, I looked it up, honestly. I'm glad that I looked up like how to how to get through the parts that were holding me back because I don't think I would have figured them out in time to be able to talk about them here. And also they're still just as funny to pull off, even if you know what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. I, I think I'll probably end up looking up because I was trying to like, I was trying to look up as little as possible just for my own reasons. There's any, there's no shame in looking anything up, but like I was like, I want to figure this out because I loved that moment where I figured out how to make him hammer his own thumb. Yeah. But like, I don't think if, if I didn't look up how to make him wear a different hat, I would have never known that I would have mm-hmm. never learned how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's like my main, and that's, it's like, it's a small gripe, but it does ruin the experience a little bit for me. Yeah. And I kind of wish I could progress through this game at a more freeing rate, but it's it's just a wonderful time. It's so funny. It's a really good... Uh, is this the is this the developer's first game? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they made beforehand. Okay, so look it up. House House. They're an Australian developer. They have another game called Push Me Pull You. That's a video game about friendship and wrestling. <laughs> it is like a worm-like creature that on one end is a balding man, and the other end seems to be kind of an adult woman. Yeah. I'll read what it says. Push Me Pull You is a sports game for two to four players. Joined at the waist, you and your partner share a single worm-like body as you wrestle your opponent for control of the ball. It's a bit like a big hug or playing soccer with your small intestines. And there words. This is so bizarre. Yeah, I've never seen this <laughs> I'm game. Not, I'm not surprised. It looks really... It's like... Uh, what was the other game that the Katamari folks made? Uh, Nobi Nobi Boy? Domi? Nobi Nobi Boy. Yeah. It's like that meets Human Centipede. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I will get this. I think Goose Game is a uh, a more immediately appealing sell, but like this is so silly and funny. Yeah. So they clearly have an irreverent sense of humor. Um, I am excited to see what else they make because uh, I think Goose Game is a great is a great game. It's a good time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love this game. I really do. Uh, I, I think it's worth diving in a little bit deeper into what happens when you finish the game, not giving away the ending, but just how it works when you move from area to area. Um, there are gates that are closed off uh, when you first start the game and you're in the garden. Once you get to the second area, you can unlock a gate. And when you get to the third area, you unlock another gate, which um, kind of connects the first two areas to the third one. And then as you continue playing the game, they all connect to like the central hub of the town. Uh, so the entire place all of the areas that you're playing in the game become one like open world by the end of it which is very cool the last thing you have to do like involves taking a thing from 
the end of the game to the beginning of the game, which is very fun. But when the game is done, when you're when you're done with it, when you finish the last thing on your to do list, it gives you a new to do list of a ton of things that you can then do in the world. So there is like a post game here uh, and it involves like causing havoc between zones, like like doing things to the garden, uh, to the groundskeeper that will like affect things in the second area and stuff like that, like carrying items from the garden into the, the marketplace in the second area, things like that, uh, which is very very cool. So like they have not only made like a like a full and complete experience here in terms of just like going from area to area, but they have also like thought about the the implications of what happens if you really 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 start to play around in this sandbox and like how can we how can we gamify that and and make that feel good and like you're still progressing even though the game is quote unquote over. Um, you also like, I think over the course of it, uh, you'll start to learn why everybody has a sign that says no geese, like ready to go, like ready to put up, um, which is fun. Like what, once that starts to like materialize in your head, it's really great. Yeah, this game, this game is very fun. I can't believe uh, that it exists and that we get to play it. I feel like almost lucky that this game came out and is as good as it is. Yeah, I, I think my, my reservation was like, okay, this is a great concept, but like how, how like, how fun is it going to be to actually own? Am I going to have buyer's remorse of just like committing to a joke, basically? Yeah. But it, and that's why I wanted to bring up, like it does have, it does have a lot of meat to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, it's, a, it's not a long game. It's not an especially in-depth game, but like it's a very fun experience that does kind of, it does evoke a similar feeling to a stealth game like Hitman or to a sandbox like GTA. Isn't that amazing? Oddly, oddly enough. Yeah. yeah, it's it's great. I guess I just wish that it was like a little bit easier to progress because I think that like you can get a little frustrated sometimes with like, but I'm glad that's the case rather than it feeling way too loose. And that that was the bigger pitfall of this game, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there there are a couple times through my playthrough where I did put it down and I was like, I'm going to come back to this later. Like before I hit the point, because like it, it'll always take me a, a certain amount of time before I look up a guide on how to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, like there was one area in particular where like I was at the last thing on the to-do list that I really needed to do to get to the next area. And I was like, I literally keep banging my head against this. I have no idea how to do it. And it turns out I was like just messing up one of the steps involved and like making a thing happen. And I didn't even realize and there was no way for me to realize. So I, I get where you're coming from in that like it could be streamlined a little bit more. But still, when you when you figure that stuff out, it is extremely rewarding. And as always, very funny. My favorite thing, like just in the whole game, and it happens constantly is when a person notices you're there, they will just stare at you and just like see what you're going to do. And then you can just honk at them. And then they'll like pretty much nine times out of 10, like be startled or like fall over completely. And that is always funny. <laughs> that is always yeah. funny. This game never stops being funny. It's always. And that's that's the sort of thread through it all. It's always funny. It's always endearing. When you quit the game, it does like a Looney Tunes. Like that's all folks on the zooms goose. in on the goose. Yeah, it's uh, great. Which is great. So like everything feels purposeful. Like even if you're like fucking things up, not knowing what to do, it feels like it's all this like wonderful silent movie that you're making. Yeah. Yeah, I'd recommend it. It's it's a lot of fun. It's it's a very goofy, very relaxing, oddly cathartic game. Yeah. Untitled Goose yeah. Game. Available on the Nintendo Switch and uh probably other platforms. It's on uh PC and Mac as well, I think. Cool. Yeah, play yeah. it. See ya later. Goodbye. Hey Brendan, we're back in our uh, contractually obliged Halloween segment. Spooky season. We're back. That's it. That's what Halloween sounds like. Um, AJ, as I thought always, you were going to keep talking, but you just kind of like let me do that. That's what you do to me. You sometimes just leave the room when I go on my. That tangents. is true. That is true. I'll be like, the my thing about Cloud is that he's got a big sword. And you're like, okay, I'm leaving. Um, AJ, as always, if you want to put on some seasonally appropriate music or whatever you want to do, go for it. I'm talking about a game for spooky season, one that you haven't played yet. Ow, ow, ow. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, too hot. Ow. Here's the thing. What's the up? game that I'm going to talk about today came out the same time as Astral Chain, and this game is about you are a cop, pretty much, uh, who visits the astral plane and uh, fights spectral beings, uh, and and over the course of which uh, return humanity to uh, to what it needs to be, I guess, to its humanity by eviscerating or learning more about these spectral beings. Uh, astral Chain was the first game, and the one I'm talking about is called Control. And I don't want to pit these two games against each other, but boy, did we pick the wrong game to talk about. Because <laughs> Control is... 
amazing. It is so, so good. And like pretty much everything I wanted out of the story of Astral Chain and like not to talk about or, or not to like dunk on Astral Chain too hard because that game is super fun. And you and I had yeah. actually before I went to Scotland had talked about maybe even revisiting it and talking about it for a second episode because you and I played more of it and came away from it like loving it in a way that we didn't I think the first time we talked about it. So like yeah, yeah. I've seen some people like kind of dunk on that game um, but it it gets very good and very fun and um, I will probably finish it. I'm like close to the end of Astral Chain now. Um, Me too, but, yeah. I mean it, it's worth dunking on because it takes a long time to get there but it's Absolutely, it's yeah. Worth, it takes like multiple hours. Off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the story is like non-existent. Like it is it's, you're not really playing just, it for that reason. It's straight up bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at many yeah. times is just Neon Genesis Evangelion like to yeah. a T which is kind of It's like someone s- spilled like laundry water on the Wikipedia entry of Neon Genesis. <laughs> Um, but that said, anyway. uh, Control, new game by Remedy. Uh, they are most well known for making the Alan Wake game, uh, mm. as if it's based on another property, for making Alan Wake for the Xbox 360. They then went on to make Quantum Break, uh, which also famously, I think, was a TV show very briefly. And uh, they, it's worth mentioning, I think, uh, because of my own maybe superstitions, not superstitions, but my own uh, my own theories. I'm not very far in control, so this is not a spoiler. I don't know anything about it, but they just got the rights to Alan Wake again uh, earlier this year, and I, I'm starting to wonder if they are related in some way, uh, and mm. I'll, I'll get into why. But um, this is a game in which you play uh, as a character named Jesse who shows up uh, in New York City at this building called the Federal Bureau of Control, uh, the FBC, which you uh, very, very quickly learn is a building that cannot be found unless you are looking for it and only in the event that it wants to reveal itself to you. Not unlike the room of requirement in Harry Potter in that you can go in and it can kind of become anything that it needs to be uh, and anything that it wants to be. One of the first things that happens as you walk in is you have to go through a metal detector and lying on top of the metal detector is a piece of paper that when you read it is like, please do not bring any of the following things in here. Any modern technology at all uh, anything that is like kind of an icon in its in its uh, in its form. So the the specific example they give is a rubber duck. They're like, if you bring anything that is like iconic in the way a rubber duck is iconic, that also cannot come in here. Any of these items, like obviously, don't bring weapons, don't bring anything like that. Like no laptops, smartphones. Uh, they say literally in quotes, anything that is smart, do not bring in here. Um, <laughs> Which, I'm just imagining me walking with my backpack like, oh, fine, throwing out eight rubber ducks, a laptop, like, yeah. <laughs> a 3DS, and like, you know, a Miss Piggy boa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is honest. So like that is the beginning of the game. That is like the first thing that happens. And I was like, this is fascinating immediately. Because then you walk through this metal detector because it, it seems like they're mentioning smartphones and laptops and things like that. It seems like it is told in like 2019. And then you walk through and the whole place feels like 1950s, 1950s. 1960s mm. um kind of like think of like zodiac like david fincher's zodiac uh what what that area looked like or like what those offices looked like that is kind of what this looks like just much foggier um mm. it is like always very foggy and very smoky in in here as if people have been just chain smoking for like <laughs> fucking years in this place but what that equates to is like typewriters everywhere those like desk lamps with like kind of like the green shade on them um yeah. everybody is like taking notes on pen and paper there's like really not a lot of like technology uh, or like modern technology happening in here. And as you make your way through the beginning of the game, uh, there are a bunch of portraits on the wall. One is uh, of a man who is just known as the director. And the next one is this like scientist who is like the head of the research division. And the third one is a man with his back turned. It's a it's a painting. It's a full like like portrait painting of, of these two people. And this third person, it's a man who seems to be some kind of janitor who is mopping the ground. And it says under the bureau at work. And I was like, this is fascinating the three most important people are like the guy the person who like presumably oversees the place the head of research in this like weird like sketchy environment and then the janitor those are like the three most important people in the federal bureau of control it's like this i'm already like so fascinated yeah um and you uh eventually make your way into this is all the beginning of the game i I promise i'm not spoiling anything i will not talk about spoilers i will not give too much away but you make your way through a whole bunch of rooms the place is completely devoid of life there's nobody there all the lights are off for the most part they're just like bright lights like streaming out of like the rooms that have their lights left on and you eventually uh find the janitor and he turns around and he starts talking to you and 
he is the janitor from the painting. He is like in the exact position that he was in in the painting and he turns around uh, and he has this like very thick, believe it or not, Scottish accent, I think, and uh, and starts telling you like, if you know, make your way down the hall, turn to the right, you'll find the director's office and then you'll know if the job is for you or not. Um, and you're just like, all right, dude, sounds good. And then he just turns around, puts his headphones on and like keeps mumbling to himself and you turn the corner and make your way into the director's office where he is dead on the ground presumably having shot himself and you pick up his gun and you find out immediately that it is this thing called the service weapon and and this is a gun that is made of the same stuff that this building is made of where it can kind of become anything it needs to be at any point it is kind of alive in that way and you pick up a piece of paper near it so you kind of learn a little bit more about it and find out that uh it is implied that this weapon at some point has been every weapon from folklore like it is this heavily reactive a redacted document there's like big like black lines across the whole thing but what you can gather from reading it is that this is like a very modern looking gun but at some point it might have also been Mjolnir like Thor's Mjolnir it might have been King Arthur's Excalibur at one point like over the ages it has transformed into all these different things this living breathing weapon um, and now it you, might have been I don't know Miss Piggy's bow it might have been Miss Piggy's bow it Sorry. might have been the 14 rubber I don't know ducks why that you I brought that up about. again but I was thinking about that the whole time um, <laughs> it, uh, it, so like immediately this means you are the new director of this bureau. Like you have no say in the matter. You are just the director now. And as you start to find people, they all start to refer to you as the director. They all know immediately because you carry this gun on you that you are the director. And so this is kind of like uh, Santa Claus logic where if you kill Santa Claus, you, you become, become Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. That is like literally what it is. If yeah. you can pick up the gun and you don't die immediately, you are the director of the bureau, which is Easy wild. enough. Yeah. Um, so just to like, I guess, give like a moment to moment gameplay perspective, like there is there are not a lot of verbs in this game, weirdly like Goose Game, like there's not a lot that you're doing. You are running around, you have a gun, you shoot people with the gun, like you shoot like bad guys with the gun. They're like corrupted uh, security guards from the Bureau, uh, corrupted by this presence called the Hiss that you were trying to get rid of. You are picking up collectibles uh, by way of like video logs, audio logs, documents that are redacted that kind of like give you more insight into what this uh, what this bureau does and, and what's going on uh, in here and like what kind of like wild shit they've discovered. But you as the character, Jesse, or I guess you as the player are kind of like obfuscated from what Jesse wants and why she's there. It is implied very early on that she's there to look for her brother and that's kind of like all the information that you get about that. But you are then sent on a quest to eliminate the hiss of... Uh, from the bureau uh, via this being group of beings unknown called the board and this is where the game like really fucking worked for me was you you find this thing called the hotline it's another quote-unquote object of power like the service gun that you have and like a rubber duck or miss piggy's boa it is just like the most fucking <laughs> classic you. red telephone like red hotline uh, yeah. And when you pick it up, it allows you to talk to this like inverted pyramid uh, in the astral plane that's called the board, which talks in like riddles at all times, but is is like you are the director. We need you to eliminate the hiss uh, and, and bring like balance to to the bureau as to not let all this shit unleash onto the streets and like fuck up all of the world. And and you pretty much just start like making your way around the bureau, which is constantly shifting its walls and like becoming different things constantly, like as you're running through them. It reminds me a lot. I, I think like a, a kind of earlier example is Portal in that like, you know, you were, you were kind of creating your own ways through this place by like, you know, shooting portals at the wall and stuff. But I think the the game that I would most compare it to in terms of like the visual tricks that it's playing on you, the, the, the unsettling kind of nature of the place in that you never know where you are or where you're going uh the game that i would most compare it to is called anti-chamber did you ever play that no what's that it was it was a puzzle game that came out on steam i want to say like 2012 2013 it was like a new version of i think the unreal engine that allowed you to like play some like very interesting visual tricks where like one of the elements uh one of the like elements you could like very easily put into your game was uh if you're looking at something it is one thing and if you look away and look back it becomes a different thing um so like you could go through a door uh and turn around and that door that you walked through is gone or that door leads to a different place now uh things like that so this game is constantly playing tricks on your eyes 
essentially, where you are like going down a hallway and you will turn a corner and like talk to somebody and then keep running down the hallway and somehow end up back at the beginning of the same hallway that you were just in, like that you started running down in the first place in a way that does not make sense, like physically. Like there's no possible way that you could have ended up back where you started and yet here you are. You know, you ran straight for 45 minutes and ended up at the entrance to the bureau again. Things like that happen all the time, which only serves to create like an even more like X-Files kind of like unsettling terror. Uh, at all times because you feel like the bureau is acting against you. You feel like the the walls are shifting like in a malicious way to keep you from discovering the things that you need to be discovering. Um, the game constantly is like changing what rooms lie where it seems. I don't even know honestly and that's kind of like one of the brilliant things about it is like maybe it's not doing that but I just feel like it's doing that. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's happened enough times where like I'm starting to, to get the sense that like every time I load the game it is like moving some stuff around a little bit. Uh, Uh, which is very, very cool and very weird. It all serves like the overall tone of the game, which is just like you will be unsettled the whole time. You will continue to find things that will completely twist your whole shit up uh, and and you will never, ever really have a firm grasp on what's happening. And honestly, I think we'll see. But I think by the time I'm done with this game, I will still feel that way. I will not feel like I have a firm grasp on what is happening at the Bureau. But every piece of paper I pick up, every audio log, Every video that I watch all serves the the overall tone uh, by like building up this lore of this place um, that like almost feels like it could exist. It almost feels like every superstition, every like weird thing, the every paranormal thing, every every uh, piece of folklore, every legend you've heard all exists, and that's why the bureau exists. It, it it exists to like keep track of and like contain all of that stuff. So like ghosts, for example, like oh yeah, ghosts are real. The bureau is investigating them. You know, it's trying to like figure out a way to harness them and whatever there there's this one really interesting area you go to i think it's called the ocean view motel where like you walk it you you pull on a light switch that's just dangling in the middle of a hallway at one point and you pull it enough times that suddenly you end up in this motel and the first thing jesse says is like this looks like every hotel or every motel i've ever been in my whole life like this is like an amalgam of every motel in like the midwest um and every time you ring the bell to like get somebody to come to the desk different doors in the motel open and they all lead to different places and different planes of existence and different realities and different like permutations of everything and you're just there briefly and then you come back like you just are there to get like one thing and then you come back you pull the light switch again uh and and you're back in the bureau and that kind of stuff is happening all the time it is the most interesting like giant question mark it feels like playing lost the video game <laughs> i i cannot recommend control enough um it sounds great I'm, i, I was, just gushed about it for i don't even know how long like i, I no, love this i mean game. it was effective i i've been meaning to check it out because i've heard nothing but good things but i didn't really know like fully what it was about i've only heard that it was twin peaks-esque but it sounds more like uh, at least based on what you're saying like like you know Men in Black without the comedy, as well as like almost Cabin in the Woods kind of levels of like meta. Yeah, um, it feels like at any moment it could become Cabin in the Woods. Um, Right. But I almost hope it doesn't because the feeling like it could become that at any moment, I think is what they're going for. The idea that like there could be something fucking wild around any corner is kind of the thing that's propelling me through the game. And it, and it is such such an interesting tone to elicit at all times. I guess my main question still is like, what is like, so you said like you like, you know, shoot bad guys and stuff, but like, what is the like core, what, like, what's the genre of the game? Like, what are you doing mostly in this game? Is it mostly like exploring the setting and uncovering things or is it more of an action game? Like what's yeah, going on? It's, it's a little bit of a mix of both of those things. So, so the yeah. big, the big conceit of the game is that when you show up at the bureau, like you find it for, you know, Jesse's own reason like you find the bureau and and you find it in a state of lockdown where this this presence called the hiss has kind of like taken over the bureau but but the previous director has locked it down in such a way where uh like the hiss cannot escape so it's your job as the new director to go around the bureau and eliminate the hiss via these places called control points uh hence the name of the game uh and as you find all these different control points you eliminate the hiss and there's boss battles and things like that um and you close them down and the walls will like kind of regenerate and turn into more of a standard looking office space instead of like a weird like honestly 
not unlike astral chain, like astral plane situation. Uh, they're they're kind of like these weird contorted like blocks and cubes that kind of like almost look like uh, I don't know like like concrete tumors in this building. Uh, it's really it's really interesting. So like by by locking down the control points, you're getting rid of them, and in doing so, you're also serving yourself and and your own story. Uh, so you're just kind of exploring this space uh, and and trying to eliminate the enemy while also learning more about uh, the Bureau of Control and what they're all about. And yeah, that that is kind of the moment to moment. If that makes sense. No, it does. I'm really you. You may have sold me on this. I was planning on getting it eventually. Yeah. But now I want to get it immediately. Yeah. I I actually I wasn't planning on picking it up this early in the season, but it just happened mm-hmm. to be on sale this weekend. Uh, it was. Oh, was is like, it? Yeah. There's like a flash sale for it. I think it was like 45 or something. Um, and I was like, sure, that's that sounds good. Uh, and I, yeah. I had some time, so I checked it out. I want to say I'm like six or seven hours in at this point. Again, not to say too much, but like the stuff that I have learned about this world is amazing. Amazing. I have never been more excited to like find a piece of paper and just like pour over it every time. Like in the beginning, they're just like throwing documents at you left and right. And you're just like spending more time reading than you are playing the game. But now I'm at a point where like they've kind of like lowered down to a trickle of information. And now every time I find a document, I just sit there. and I'm like so excited to read. <laughs> That's so interesting because I feel like a lot of times games use that like use like audio logs and documents and all that kind of like found media if you will yeah. as a way just to kind of fill in plot gaps and like usually it's like more tedious than fun. Yeah. Um I'm someone who like loves like I love that but it, it when it's implemented incorrectly, it can kind of uh, get in, in the way of the flow of the game. Yeah. But it sounds like the game is almost anchored by those moments rather than like you looking forward to doing something else. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So like to give you an example of some of the audio logs you find, they are mostly recordings of like radio stations or podcasts or things where people are talking about paranormal experiences that they've had. And like it's on the desk of somebody who is like clearly like taking notes on it and like making sure that they're going to like send some people out to go like investigate it and see if it was real or not. Um, a lot of what the Bureau does is like send agents out to check up on purported paranormal stuff to see if it's actually legit. Like, oh yeah, this washing machine was like bouncing around more than normal. Like, let's see if it was fucking haunted or something, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That That is what... No, the, just, a, just a shitty washing machine. It's just machine, a bad washing sorry. machine. Yeah, no, and, and there are documents where it's like conversations back and forth between people like, I'm sick of getting sent out to check out shitty washing machines. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah bring me to the real thing. I want to go find Mjolnir, you know? Um, Yeah. So like you also get this like weird thing where like people who work there have gotten used to the paranormal shit, you know, and like it just becomes a job to them, uh, which is also I love that though, because I think sometimes like what really breaks my immersion in a game like this is like if everyone acts like the audience, like the writer thinks the audience will, where they're all like, what could this mean? Right. It's like some of you have to know that like that's the, the breath of fresh air. I think I brought this up before, but like Persona 5, love that game one of my favorites yeah. the first 30 hours are ryuji asking you questions <laughs> like <laughs> right and then finally you get some party members that like immediately know what's going on like oh my thank god like, yeah i get like if you get it before the characters do it's like always like a annoying experience i think yeah and this um, game is keeping you at arm's length at all times yeah for sure and, but like every scrap of information you get is just more fascinating that's um, amazing I, I so so that's the audio log side. I talked about the document side, and then the other the other side is video, uh, which is also worth mentioning because they're told so they're FMVs. They're like literally like they have actors like dressed up like it is it is like a real video um, of real human beings, but it is told in the way of like uh, the the Jurassic Park uh, video, the, like the scientist videos from Jurassic Park, where it's like dinosaurs, you know, like that whole situation. Oh, that's like, amazing, Mr. Yeah. DNA kind of situation. So you have like these scientists that are like this is the hotline it is an object of power do not touch the hotline unless you are the director unless you'd like to die just kind of like like compliance training for the paranormal bureau yes Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and just that. like, oh, yeah, we've discovered like this thing. We've discovered this like weird ghost for like one of the objects of power I found was um, just kind of in line with like the rubber duck hotline kind of thing. Uh, one of the objects of power that I have found is a uh, carousel horse that just starts like teleporting 
all over the place. So like as you try and catch it and it like will teleport somewhere else and somewhere else and just like continues to get further and further away from you. It's worth mentioning that when you get these objects of power, they allow you to do like psychic abilities essentially. So when you get and uh, when you get near this carousel horse and you kind of like absorb its power, it allows you to do like a teleportation dash around. One of the first ones you get is a floppy disk. This is how they learned that you cannot have any modern technology in here uh, is because the floppy disk for some reason immediately as soon as they brought it into the bureau turned into an object of power um, which allows you to move things with your mind you have telekinesis so that's another one of the actions in this game is you can like pick shit up and then launch it at people but beyond beyond just like picking up psychic abilities and like running and shooting and picking up objects like there is not much in the way of gameplay this game lives and dies by both its story uh and how slowly it's unfurling and also i didn't even bring up the aesthetic of this game is just beautiful it is absurd how pretty this game is the way the way that they treat lighting where like the light itself will create like sharp angles it almost looks have you heard of ray tracing no so ray tracing is kind of like a newer a, a newer graphical thing like all of the all of the current graphics cards that are coming out the next generation of consoles they're all focusing very hard on ray tracing which is the idea that a source of light will bounce across a thing kind of precisely the way it would in real life instead of like kind of kind of like generating a light source and and allowing it to um like kind of learn every permutation of what that could look like when it comes down this is on the fly rendering light the way it actually is kind of falling across landscapes in real life um this game looks like it is using ray tracing i don't i don't think it is because i don't think the ps4 can do that but what that really means in actuality is like you have these very harsh beams of light falling all over the place cutting through fog it looks a lot like inside if you if you played that game like yeah oh yeah i played inside that that last area of inside is like almost exactly what this game looks like at all times i see just with like very harsh white lights and very harsh red lights. Um, mm. So you get this like really, really, really interesting, like constantly creepy dynamic where you will enter a place that is like infested by the hiss. And then once you get rid of it, it kind of becomes this like almost like pure white fluorescent light, um, which is still cold and like sad because it's a it's a federal office building. But it, it is at all times extremely beautiful. I just found my first like outdoor area, uh, which is just gorgeous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And and uh, like I said, this game feels like it could become anything at any moment. And that is what's propelling me through. I am so extremely into it. Wow. Yeah, it sounds lovely. I, I definitely will pick it up eventually. Maybe we could revisit it again. I'd love to. Uh, yeah, I think maybe this yeah. this could be a game where it would be worth like when you're done with it, we could do a spoiler discussion about it because there's so much stuff that I'm not talking about right now that I am bursting at the seams to be able to say out loud. Uh, yeah, I'm I, I mentioned this to you uh, earlier before we started recording the episode, but like I got home from a thing last night at like midnight and instead I was really tired and instead of going to sleep I played this game for like another two and a half hours I fell asleep <laughs> during one of the load screens and I was like ah shit I guess I gotta go to sleep like I didn't want to but I did because I just like, so funny I just had to put the game down because I physically couldn't play it anymore it's great it's really good yeah I, I'm really excited to check it out because that, that, that's a game that's been getting a lot of buzz it seems like I mean similar to movies like I think all the potential Oscar noms come out you know at the end of the year right right yeah I feel like games are doing that now too. We're like ever since September, like every week is like eight new things that are amazing. Not to say that Oscar nominees are the only good movies. There are plenty of good movies that don't get that attention. But you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, really kind of it is. I don't know. We we knew ahead of time that September was going to be a lot, and like October yeah. was going to be a lot. But like now that it's actually happening, it does feel overwhelming. Like it does feel like yeah. there's actually too much to consume and like talk about. Um, and I didn't I didn't want Control to fall by the wayside because it was a game that like I honestly didn't even realize was coming out. Like I I think we had maybe talked about it from E3, maybe, but we also might have skipped it completely because it just looked like another game where you run around a place and you have a gun like it didn't seem like it was really yeah it really stood to be out. honest before your before your segment on it just now i was like not sure if i was gonna get it because i was like well i don't know like it looks like kind of like another triple a e game yeah you know like that's kind of what i wrote it off as but this sounds completely different than what i was expecting yeah it, so. it is doing some stuff that i absolutely did not expect of it um and and i have just been like completely enamored by it 
pretty much from go. Like I, I just think it's it's a really special game, and I recommend checking it out. But anyway, my my theory right now, and I'll throw it out there, is that this game is somehow connected to Alan Wake, and I don't know how yet. But Alan, some of the things that are being described in these in these journals and stuff that I'm finding sound so similar to the stuff that happened in Alan Wake, and I would love if this was like a weird backdoor sequel. That would make me very happy. But that's all. Yeah, I'll say. cool. Well, why don't we take a bit of a break, and we'll get into our last segment. Yeah, of today that sounds good. Goodbye, everyone. Happy Halloween. Goodbye. Steven, we're back. We're answering a question from our Discord. Again, you can find our Discord or the link to it in the show notes below. I'm very excited. Yes. Uh, this is a question from Inez, uh, and it reads as follows. It, it caused a very nice discussion in, in the Discord, by the way, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, I was very in, into it. So I want to talk about it on the show. Here it is. Uh, Hi, friends. I have a question for you that I thought might be cool to discuss here slash on the podcast. Hello. This is on the podcast. What are your thoughts on choosing an easier difficulty level in a game? I'm not too good at games that involve coordination so 80% of all games, and feel very frustrated when I have to repeat the same levels slash sections over and over again. So whenever possible, I tend to choose a lower difficulty level because that increases my enjoyment of the game slash leaves me less frustrated and allows me to uh, focus on the story more, which is what I tend to enjoy the most uh, and doesn't make a 30-hour game turn into a 60-hour game. Uh, This question was inspired by me turning the setting down to normal in Fire Emblem last night after I died five times in one mission and was so bummed that I couldn't progress the story anymore for that evening. Um, Sometimes there's a little bit of discourse of quote you're not playing on normal slash hard mode then you're not truly playing the game as it was meant to be played and i'd like to hear everyone's thoughts on that thank you inez for that question it's really good uh and something that i think about a lot and um i think have dis- i think we've discussed this on the show a bunch but it's worth like crystallizing it uh in in a segment i think uh, yeah absolutely uh and yeah thank you inez this is a great question um, I think I, I responded in the Discord, uh, and I'll kind of echo those thoughts here, but basically, like, I am 1,000% against the notion that if you're playing at any difficulty, you're not experiencing the real game. Yeah. Especially when it comes to something like Fire Emblem, where, like, that in particular is a game that is meant to be enjoyed for the story and for the characters. Yeah. Um, the, the battles add tension, and the battles are hard, and honestly, from, from hearing, because I think that's been a very widely discussed game in our discord and everyone has played on various difficulties and everyone has very different experiences with the series right so for me i was able to go on hard and like hard's tough especially by the end especially in the edelgard route Mm -hmm. um (laughs) but you know it was sort of what i wanted from that experience if you're new to the series that series has famously been obtuse and how to play it right even though this one is is wildly more accessible there's still a lot of stuff that you're not going to know until you've played the game a bit so yeah I think like the selling point of that game and the intended experience of that game of three houses in particular is that your experience that your choices make sense to your story whether that means allying with the blue lions or golden deer or playing on hard or normal like anything you choose in that game was intended to be the experience because that's that that game in particular is so moldable to what you want as a player right Um, everything is valid and we talked about that a lot in, in the bonus episode about it but literally every choice you can make in that game is a valid choice. And that starts with the difficulty that you choose. Yeah. Yeah. So I think with, that's a great game to bring up because I think that like play that game on any difficulty you want, you're there for the characters. And I do think as someone who plays it on hard and who plays with the permadeath on that adds to the tension of the battles that makes the battles way more like stressful. But the thing is you could very well find those battles stressful on a lower difficulty if you're newer to the series or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to play it on like the highest difficulty with permadeath on and to to get the same feeling. Absolutely. Um, I think it, I think the conversation of difficulty as a whole I think so depends on the series and what that series is trying to do and how it's implemented. Um, you know I think again that brought up this discussion a lot was Sekiro because that is a game that you play. You know we 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 touched on this in in our last episode about like what does Souls like mean? What does the Dark Souls formula truly do well? Yeah. And while it does do a lot of stuff mechanically well, the reason that that from software and that Miyazaki have become like superstars in the industry is because of the narrative power of that world telling a story indirectly through the environment telling a story based on 
how invested you choose to be in the world. Who do you talk to? Mm-hmm. What areas do you revisit? Right. All that stuff. That's what makes those games great. And Sekiro, I think, doubles down on having a, a concrete narrative for the first time in the series history. <laughs> right. It doubles down on having characters you actually care about and like a what will happen next feeling versus something that's way more ethereal and atmospheric like Bloodborne. Yeah. Not to say that Bloodborne is less of a good story. If anything, you could argue the opposite. But um, we'll be talking about Bloodborne again this October. We will. But, you know, Sekiro's yeah. story is more straightforward and you're you're living in the moment rather than figuring out something that may have happened before. Yeah. So Sekiro is a game that's like, I want more people to experience. And there is a wall there. There is a wall for, for literally everyone. Yep. Because you're learning how to play Sekiro. I think that that game does pay off for being the difficulty it is. And the thing about that game, what makes that game hard is that you have to learn how they want you to play it. Mm-hmm. It's not arbitrarily difficult where like enemies just have more health or whatever. Yeah. You have to learn the mechanics of that game. Right. So f- the problem with that is that if someone who is newer to games that wants to get into games that wants to get into Sekiro, they're going to have a much harder time because like there's just things that someone who grew up with games might take for granted of like, I don't have the muscle memory of this. So I can't even possibly fight Lady Butterfly. Yeah. You know, like, this is not even an attainable goal. <laughs> and and right. it's sad because it might make you bounce from a game that you would otherwise really love. Yeah. And we, we talked about it briefly, I think, in our Sekiro episode, which you can go back and listen to, but I... I pretty sure we talked about the idea of adding an easier difficulty to this game and how I think the story alone, the focus on narrative in this game kind of makes it one that I wish had an easier difficulty. I have the same exact gripe with Hollow Knight, which is, uh, as we've mentioned, one of my favorite games of all time. Um, The glaring thing that that game is missing is an easier mode so people can experience that world without needing the difficulty. And there definitely is something to be said about like a narrative and and, um, I would say tonal reason for difficulty in a game like Sekiro or in Hollow Knight. They they frame the difficulty in such a way where that act of dying and that act of, of I would say like almost insurmountable odds and finding yourself on the other side of them is part of what those games are about. But that said, they're so beautiful and so incredible uh, that I don't I don't think that adding an easier difficulty mode to them would really hinder that. I think it would only allow more people access to a thing that they would love. I agree. And I think that, I mean, with, with the Souls series in particular, the difficulty is, like you said, part of the narrative. It's part of the intended right. experience. Uh, there's a line that Kuro has in Sekiro where he's like, how many times have you died on my behalf? Five, 10, or is it too many to count? And you're like, it's the latter, pal. This game is rough. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, I think that, and, and you brought this up when we first talked about it, was like, if, you, if Sekiro had an easy difficulty, yes. it would still be hard for a lot of people. They would still have that mountain to climb and that catharsis on the other side of it. I always bring up Celeste as a game that has like a really, mm-hmm. a lot of really great options for accessibility. Um, you can, you know, turn on infinite dashes. You can really experience that game. And that's another game too. Like, yes, the brutal platforming difficulty adds to this, to this feeling of overcoming anxiety and climbing this mountain and, and you know, learning that anxiety is not something to defeat. It's yeah. something to accept. And it almost becomes a superpower once you recognize all sides of yourself. I love that. It was a very powerful message. And that message should be able to be received by all parties, regardless of their experience with 2D platformers, you know? Yeah, I, th- I think Celeste is the ultimate fuck you to the idea that you can't make an easier game mode or you can't add accessibility options because it would quote unquote hurt the narrative. Right. Like that game is about overcoming difficulty. Like that is that is the everything. That is the everything of Celeste. And the yeah. fact that that game is still as powerful with all those accessibility options options turned on only really goes to show like yes there should be an easier mode in in Sekiro and in Hollow Knight and in games like that Um, and I guarantee what will happen too is that anyone who plays those games and beats them on an easier mode will probably go back and try to challenge themselves afterwards so like anyone who's looking for that challenge will not be robbed of it and anyone who is looking to jump on board will be able to there's really no downside right and if you're a person that doesn't have a lot of time to play games like it is absolutely valid 
solid to turn the difficulty down so you can get through faster, as Inez said in in, in uh, the question. Like, that is the thing that I have done multiple, multiple times. I, I did that with Fire Emblem because I was like, well, first of all, the, the idea of permadeath, and I didn't really have the time trying to beat one battle over and over again and lose everyone and the need to start over because I wanted to finish it uh, and I wanted to see what the story was all about. Same thing with the one I always point to for this is the Uncharted Collection, where I always play on story mode. They have story mode, then easy, medium, hard. Those games, uh, when the Uncharted Collection came out to replay all of them, played them all on story mode and I powered through them and it was great. It ruled. It did not feel like a lame experience at all. Uncharted is a great series to bring up because I think the Uncharted is like one of my favorite series. It's a beautiful time. It's like, I'm always amazed that those games don't feel stale <laughs> and corny because it's yeah. like the most overdone Hollywood genres. But like, that's why like there's buzz about an Uncharted movie. I'm like, I don't need that in any way. Cause like yeah. all we get are Uncharted movies. Like the Uncharted games are actually doing something interesting with it, especially with Lost Legacy and Uncharted 4. Uh, but Uncharted, like you're playing that for the story, for the platforming. They come at a screeching halt in all yeah. of the combat Bo uh, enemies are all bullet sponges like it takes forever and it's not necessarily that well done um, the melee combat in those games is very riveting and very cinematic but the shootouts are like really just kind of there just so they can say it's a game <laughs> you know like right but everything else is so good that that like, comes in the way of it. And like the difficulty in that series is basically how much health do enemies have and how much damage are they dealing, which is like not going to change the narrative of Nathan Drake becoming a father. Right. At all. Exactly. <laughs> I think another good example is the Witcher. Uh, I, we've talked about the Witcher three. I think that's probably our hottest thing is that neither of us are like huge Witcher fans. <laughs> right. But, uh, I think that The Witcher 3 has a great story and it has really good characters and really good dialogue. You think that too. But that game is just, I just did not enjoy playing it, but I was committed enough to it that I wanted to see how it was going to end. Yes. So I turned the difficulty midway to story. And that's not something that I normally do. I usually either play on normal or if I really like it, I'll play on a harder difficulty because I just am wired that way. I don't know. Like, like Fire Emblem is a game that I'm familiar enough where I'm like, I want to push this as far as I can go. Yeah. But with Witcher 3, I'm like, I just want to see how it ends. I don't, enjoy this and i feel like it's difficult not in an intended way but like in an esoteric mm -hmm. way in a way where it's like oh like you should have leveled up your shield more or whatever it's like okay cool thanks dude uh you got, you got better at gwen's to get past this part <laughs> um so yeah. i put it on story and had a way better time because i was like i am now just experiencing the story <laughs> I didn't want to play this game for the thing I like. And I think the thing you like. that changes yes. game to game. And I think uh, someone actually shared, I think it was on Polygon. It was an article recently about how developers talk about difficulty versus like how audiences do. Um, and difficulty itself can mean a very different thing. Is it is it pointless to the point where it's like enemies just have more health than Uncharted? Or is it hard like The Witness where it's literally you solving a puzzle? And that's a very different yes. idea. And I think that like people who are newer to games that want it to be more accessible are not asking for every game to be easy. They're asking for it to be accessible. Um, a game that's hard like The Witness is accessible because anyone can solve a puzzle. It's just not demanding them learn a new type of control input that they're not used to. Um, so I think that mm -hmm. that's, that's the big misconception in the argument of like, you know, easy or not. Like no one's asking for anyone to dumb down games that we're only playing Wii music. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. the conversation. The conversation is to have the option. And the fact that like, we're at a point now where games are probably the most interesting they've ever been. People growing up around our age who didn't grow up with it are, are might now suddenly be interested. I have a lot of friends who are now suddenly interested in games and they feel self-conscious because they they don't feel like they can or that they're they're not good. And like I hate that. Like no one has that with movies. No one's like, "Oh, I'm not good at watching movies." Right. That shouldn't be the case for games, you know. Absolutely unless not. you're unless you're just <laughs> stumbling into a StarCraft tournament, like you shouldn't have to <laughs> think that way. Yeah. Uh so I I think that one there's no shame in wanting an easier difficulty and i think that the difficulty is 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 dependent on what the experience is oddly enough breath of the wild is a difficult game it really is yeah, yeah that is one of the more accessible games out there i have a lot of friends who are like 
getting into that game for the first time, having no experience with Zelda and little experience of video games. But there's something about the way that that game is delivered and what you get out of that game. Because honestly, with that game, if you want to avoid all the combat and just like cook mm-hmm. and ride horses, you can. But all my friends who play that game eventually have all gotten farther than I am and are now like the true masters of Hyrule. <laughs> it's because they're set up to succeed. And, and yeah. the difficulty in that game is about learning from the environment and planning accordingly, not just leveling up arbitrarily or memorizing input codes and guess what that game has extremely different modes that are in it now so like if you're a person who plays that and you're like oh wow i wish this game was more challenging that does exist for you and the the act of making a mode that is easy enough for everyone to to access that that did not take away from uh, giving you the like quote-unquote hardcore experience that you may have been looking for i i think just like on a personal note i am a person who does play games like sekiro and bloodborne and uh i do like score chase in arcade and things like that but if a game has a really easy mode i will generally play that i tend to find that the most fun yeah and like i i have beaten fire emblem twice on hard and i've only lost one person but i also want all these options to yeah, exist yes. you know like i don't think it's a sign of weakness to want accessibility options right. like for I think um, a really great example is Sign Our Wild Hearts, a game that like I beat all the way through, right? Like I played through the whole game, and now I'm going back and doing the like hundred collect everything, which is really fucking hard. But you could play that game and enjoy it without needing to do that. I I am just like deciding that I like this game enough to rise up to the challenge to do that, and it's taking me a very long time, and it is extremely difficult. But that's there for me. Again, another glowing example, yes. Celeste. Again, if you want the B and C sides, boy, are they there, and <laughs> and they are impossible. Yes. So like. Like, at the same time, I don't think a developer needs to make all these different modes by default, but I think that, like, you have to say, okay, what's the intended experience? How can we best provide that for everyone without losing sight of Mm -hmm. what we want the experience to be? And I think it's honestly way more possible than than the debate would suggest. Yeah. Obviously, like, you know, I don't truly hear a lot of people fighting for the other side. I don't, th- I don't, at least in my like immediate social circles and on our discord, I don't hear people being like, no, everything has to be hard. Get good. Uh, I know that exists, definitely, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think that that's a very backwards way of thinking. And it's the same awful toxic exclusive shit that like exists around all forms of media unfortunately but there's a weird misguided group where it's just like no this is ours you can't have it and it's like why why is that your yeah. why is that your thing why'd you make this your <laughs> brand it sucks uh so yeah i think i yeah. think just to put a cap on it games are like all media meant to be uh enjoyed and that you know that could be a horror movie right you could sit down and watch a horror movie and still enjoy watching it right even though it is truly terrifying um or it could be something that is relaxing or it could be something like the witcher where you're just like ingesting the story uh you know it it, all walks of life um but that said if the difficulty option is there and uh, you think that it would make for a better experience then absolutely take it and never feel bad about it like i have never played a game that had difficulty settings where having played on a certain difficulty is the reason that i liked it you know like i imagine for all you love about fire emblem the fact that you played it on hard with permadeath is not the number one reason that you would recommend that game to people you know no i i was i was about to say that i was like i've never been like oh you played on normal (laughs) you know like that's never even crossed my mind uh yeah a a perfect example is uh final fantasy 7 which is a game that i'm playing with all of the like weird settings that they added to like the the re-release where like you can have full limit at all times you can uh turn off random encounters if you want to you can play at three times speed like i'm doing all those things and flying through that game uh but it is the reason that i'm able to play that game in in 2019 like i am making the game easier for me but it is also allowing me to play a game that i have heard about forever that I thought was too kind of like obfuscated by time uh, for me to like actively enjoy. And I'm loving it. So like hearing you say that and the perfect example is Final Fantasy VII. My mission on this earth is complete. I can return to hell and, uh, and yeah. you can live the rest of your life. <laughs> Finally, I'm free. I'm a, I'm a benign demon. I'm yeah. sort of a Daedric Lord. Not quite evil, but I have one purpose. And that is completed. <laughs> Point being difficulty is a sham and play the game how you want to play it yeah i mean i think difficulty honestly started to just to get more quarters like that was basically like a lot of old games are hard because they're 
either not designed well or they were designed to get more quarters. Right. There For the are... same reason, uh, mobile games now have have uh, energy meters and things like that. Like yeah, these like the the idea of games being extremely difficult only exists for like monetary gain. <laughs> and I will say, I just want to put on the record, I do think that the difficulty of a game like Dark Souls or Celeste does pay off. But I also recognize yeah. that I have been playing video games since I was zero, and there are things that come naturally to me that don't for people who want to get into them. Yeah. I, it doesn't make me better. It just makes me more experienced with it. And like, there is that like kind of muscle memory required for some of this stuff. Yeah, um, totally. So I, I think that can easily be forgotten when it's like someone's like, wait, I need to learn what the buttons do before I figure out like the perfect time to counter dash. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah. I think more accessible, the better. There's no downside to having an easy option. Uh, yeah. And I think you can still have an intended experience that is very difficult. Again, I think Celeste is the perfect example. I think that's like, you you can play that game any way you want. You're still going to get that beautiful message from it. And you will probably return to it and play it again in any way you want. Um, yes. Game of the Year 2018, Stephen Hilger, TM. Uh <laughs> Let's uh let's wrap up. Let's Thank wrap you for up. the question. As uh, and if you have any questions you want to ask us, feel free to ask any way uh you want, whether that be on Twitter uh, or in the Discord or elsewhere. Yeah, we also yeah. we don't mention this all the time, but we have an email address if you want to email us. It's don't worry, I'm not going to sing it this time. It's into the aether podcast at gmail.com. Yes, uh, that is it. This is before we had into the cast as our like easy brand. So yeah, excuse the archaic uh difficulty of into the aether podcast. Podcast at gmail.com. Uh-huh. But I'm going to give a shout out to our patrons. Yes, our very please. generous Thank patrons. You so Thank you so much to Akira, Andrew, Bede, Benjamin D, Benjamin W, Bolt, Brett, Christopher, Hilton, Inez, Jeff, Cameron, Kim, Kyle, Mark, Marcel, Melly Muffin Pie, Micah, Min, Philip, Scout, and Spencer. You are all very generous. Thank you for your support. Yes. Um, if you like the show, share it with a friend. Uh, review it on Apple Podcasts uh, or iTunes. I think it's the same thing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't want to write a review, writing it out of five stars is also very helpful. Uh, and sharing the show is the best way to help it grow. Honestly, uh, just like we've noticed a pretty significant boost in listeners lately. And I just want to uh-huh. say hello to everyone uh, and thank you for checking the show out. And I and just like as the support for the show grows, I just feel more and more humbled and appreciative by it. So thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the idea of starting uh, a video game podcast in at that point was 2018 is like it's it's like jump it's like pouring a bottle of water into an ocean, you know? It's like <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah. you're all here and you're all listening and it's so humbling and cool. Um just so glad uh to have this show and be able yeah, to do it I mean, week. Yeah, I mean I shared the sentiment with Brendan, but like I think you and I would have probably just kept doing this because we enjoy doing it. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And the fact that there are people out there who enjoy it too is just really beautiful and i think we've really built a nice community around it i feel like i've made a lot of friends to the show it's it's really nice so i yeah. just wanted to share that sentiment because yeah. i feel like the last episodes have been a little rowdy so i want to get real for a second you know <laughs> what else we got uh yeah we got a twitter whatever it's at into the cast <laughs> uh <laughs> We have a Twitch account that we're trying to fucking figure out. I mean, uh, I mean, full disclosure, we're recording these on the same day, so I still have the same issue that I've had with my PS4, uh, just to give you context. But uh, yeah, so we have a Twitch account. It's at Into the Cast. Uh, we have a YouTube channel that's basically a backlog of our Twitch streams. I know we have people in various time zones. If you ever miss a stream, they exist on YouTube after the fact. Yes. Um, I've seen some recent love for our Oblivion Lester Let's Play. Oh, uh, nice. That will resume once we're together again, basically. Yeah. Just for context, like we started a playthrough where we played as an Argonian named Lester, the lusty Argonian knight who only punches things. It's been a blast. Uh, that's something that I think we'll just return to whenever we're in the same place. I think that's what I we'll think do so with too. that. Yeah. Keep it kind of a special event. I'll be mm. back, I think in december so unless you visit me first and bring your xbox it will probably his adventures will continue in december most likely yeah when we record our game of the year spectacular oh what a fun day it's gonna be i can't wait uh although honestly dude i'm ready to I'm ready to fight this time. I'm not going to bow so easily like last year. Anyway, uh, moving forward, uh, what else we got? I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Again, what's your, uh, if you what's your con- name on the internet? Uh, I am Stephen Hilger at Stephen Hilger. Nice. And what, what's your name on the internet? Oh yeah, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm a XX Crescent Moon Assassin. Um, uh, you can find me on Battle.net. What is this bit? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm XX Sora Space Donald Space Goofy XX. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, a Lilo and Sora. Um, Did you uh, know that there's that there's DLC for Kingdom Hearts three that's out? Oh really? Yeah, it's called Remind, which I think is hilarious because every time I think that's about it, right. it's like, oh yeah, it's reminding me that Kingdom Hearts three exists. I yeah. meant to say I meant to say Stitch and Sora because Stitch is a party mate that's very powerful in yes. one of the games. Uh, yes. Anyway, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Thanks for everything. You rule, and uh, you're just as powerful as Stitch, to be honest. You definitely are. Have a great week, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. TWG, the worst garbage dot online.